Ready? Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast, episode number 20-4. We're your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. I'm Pernell, and it's funny because I think Rob is it's getting this weird part where Rob's also like, what episode are we on? I, I'm There's starting, a lot. I'm starting to forget. Um, I might, we might have to restart at some point. No! Or do some kind of different numbering system. No, I challenge listeners at this point. Can you think of a game that's had more than 20 worlds? Because I can't, but I'm wondering if it exists. Is it like new Super Mario Brothers had a bunch of worlds? Uh, I don't think it has 20. New Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> a lot, though. Also, which one? There's like a... The new, shouldn't even be called new anymore. The newer. A ton of them. Neo. It's the worst naming convention ever. <laughs> it really is. It started new, out awesome. 3DS, XL, Plus, oh. Light, Accent Core, Plus, R. Alpha. <laughs> Roman Candle Cancel. So that means we're not the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, ours is the best. Okay. We're going to have the longest game ever. Well, we are a video game music podcast. We listen to great video game music from all consoles and all generations, and we talk about it, and we enjoy each other's company. And this week, we have a guest on the show. A returning awesome guest. Yes. Uh, hey, it is a composer and friend of the show, Mitchell Wong. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, it's pretty exciting because my game is coming out in one week. And yes, yes. Tell, tell us about is, the game. Tell us about the new game. Actually, worth asking before, is it one week from the when this episode hits or is it one week from <laughs> oh, right now? sorry, yeah. It comes out the 17th of October. Yes. So this week. This week, this Thursday. Check it out. It's called Kine. Can you tell us about the game and, and what role did you play with it? So Kine is a 3D narrative puzzle game and it's about these three little robot cubes that are actually also instruments mm. and so they dream of one day making it big and famous in the world of jazz and so it's about their climb to try and become famous and just get noticed as and it's told through the story of puzzles uh there's a bit of romance there's a lot of weird technical oh yeah so it's a puzzle game but it's also a music theme puzzle game and i'm the composer and mostly the sound designer of I'm looking forward to it, to be perfectly honest with you, because mm. I, I, I'm i not going to lie, I'm going to be that guy, or I was that guy, where I was like, maybe maybe, maybe they'll pass a review code over if I ask very nicely. And <laughs> was like, hey, there you go! So, yeah, easy. <laughs> so I was like, well, done deal. So I'm actually looking very forward to digging into it, because from the moment you brought it up to us, I looked it up, I was like, this looks pretty awesome. I was like, I was I just looked at the trailer, and there was like images of like one of the characters, like... I guess I'm not sure if it was like a snare, but he basically stretched across a chasm with it and then pulled his other his his full body across. Right. It was like, was a, like stacking up. It was like a, like a trombone can like slide out and reach across something and pick something up. And um and you are um a, a brass player. Yeah, so I'm a I play bass trombone myself, and the three instruments are trombone, accordion, and drums. So. My aunt's ex-boyfriend lent me, well, he gave me their drum set and then he wanted it back, but uh, I used some of that. It sounded terrible. Mm. I had to borrow an accordion from a friend of someone I didn't know super well, uh, but conveniently I had my own drumone. And that was really fun actually recording all these little doots and and all these weird <laughs> sound effects for when you like roll, but also fall off oh, and I love like, it. bump into walls. So. Oh, that's awesome! How big was the team that that's worked on this? So I know, I mean, you did the music and some of the sound effects, but like, how how like none of there's artists and programmers. Like, how how large is the group? 
Okay, so the game was largely made by one person for a long time. Her name is Gwen Frey, mm-hmm. and she's a former. Uh, she's an animator who was formerly at the Molasses Flood, and before that was formerly at Irrational before it dissolved. And she was making this game by herself for a long time. Uh, and then I came onto the project, and then she also got some grant money from Epic, and that allowed her to hire some like outsourced teams. And oh. so I think there's maybe a handful of other people that have like contributed to the game. Mm-hmm. There's another guy who helped do some of under the hood stuff for the audio, and he did a couple of sound effects. So it's like 90% one person however much percent you want to give me and then the rest percent is like maybe five people or plus i actually don't know and i guess there's also translations so mm, right how many people does that include far well, as i'm concerned and i think rob would agree though music even though the music isn't the programming the music is a ridiculously major component of a game oh, yeah. being released that's just well, for, for us, yeah, yeah heck, that's for why us. this podcast exists, right? Oh yeah, oh totally, like, totally. Kid you not, I, I there have totally been games where it's like this game has been highly acclaimed, and I put it in my console and I started playing. This music sucks, or <laughs> it's non-existent, and I just can't play it. Like right. it just because I've had friends say turn it off, or I just listen to music over the game. I'm like, that's not how this works. Oh, it hurts my soul. Yeah, oh, right. Like, it's like you don't. The music is a part of the experience. To listen to some other music instead of the music in the game, it's just it's a disservice to the product. It's true. I, I won't do it. So I compete in Smash Bros. a lot, mm. and a lot of people like to be in the zone, and they don't want to talk to other people, and so they put on headphones, and that's like totally understandable. I am a pretty social person when I play games, mm. uh, and so I have to kind of restrain myself from like just shutting up when I compete. But uh, some people are like, oh, yeah, I don't care about the music in game. I'll just listen to my own stuff. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That just makes you want to win more. When I played um, a lot of Street Fighter, like my, like I played a lot of technical characters where I needed the audio for cues to do certain mm. combos and stuff. But like, I'm like you, like I get really, like winning is important, but I'm more into like the crowd and like having fun and people yelling and screaming at each other. So I never want to have headphones on when I played um, with other people. So I'm a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Like I love the in game music to death, but when I'm in a crowd or with other people, mm-hmm. I'm like with Mitchelson, I want to talk. Yes. If I'm doing well, you're gonna know it. Not in a jerk face <laughs> way, but more in a oh my god, I did the move. It worked. You didn't think it would, but it did. So it was awesome. We're and just then, describing the show where it's like we love talking. And we love music. Yeah, though no, admittedly there's the other side of that coy too, where it's like someone's like giving me the the, the, the giving me a schooling. And I'm sitting there looking. I was like, "Oh, you jerk! Oh, you jerk!" <laughs> like and everyone knows it. It's a it's a weird feeling, but it's entertaining. My at pet least. peeve is when people talk about your your game while it's happening in like the mm-hmm. back, and maybe the person you're playing with, who is not a regular, has a group of homies, and they're all like <laughs> trying to gas them up. And I'm like, "Oh, can you not commentate my set in front of me, please?" Oh yeah, that's that's the one thing that I don't like. But otherwise, I. If, if it's someone that I'm, like, even skill-wise, then it's like, oh, if I lost, it was a close set. Sure. If it's someone who's way better than me, <laughs> I lost, and I'm not sad because they're just way better than me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I lose against people who I should beat, but 
I'm just a really inconsistent player, actually. Yeah, that's, that's where I was, too. That's why I gave up Puzzle Fighter for, like, 15 years. Well, like, it's an inconsistent game. Um, it really is. I was recently at a uh, at a big uh, DDR tournament. It was... Um, oh, it my was, goodness. It was, a, it was called Stamina Con, and it's all marathon-based. And when I got there, I didn't qualify to play until much, much later in the evening. And I was just watching these people play through their sets. And they're like hour long. I mean, these are hour long sets, like nonstop. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and, and, and lay some context on this because he's not going to mention this, I don't think. How dedicated is this guy? His set was at 11 p.m. Yeah, I went back at 11. I, I, I usually play at a, like 11 a.m., 10 a.m. at home. But um, I, I was watching the people play, and they get so focused that there's a crowd of like 10, 15 people around them all shouting the lyrics to these Eurobeat songs. Oh, God. Like, Night of Fire. And like the dude's just super in the zone. I'm like, I don't know if I could handle that level of concentration. But the way, the way that everyone was like super like supportive and like really cheering each other on, I guess this is was it was less competitive and more like it is more like a marathon where you're just you just want to complete you want to finish and feel good about that yeah because it's, it's not as much of a 1v1 as it no. is like person com- doing their best right mm-hmm. it is even like even when tournaments are are um are uh, segmented or, or they're, they're 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 put together as a 1v1 i've never understood that because you're only going to do as good as you can. You can't affect the other player. So well, speedrunning is like that too. But sometimes yeah. you can do like safer things. Like oh, like this person missed this really hard skip, or right. this person, like can they catch up? And then like oh, and it can be pretty exciting. I think like that. But of course, because it's everyone playing their own game, yeah. and speedrunning in general is like a singular thing. And so there's no like cursing the opponent. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, one thing that happens in um, in fighting games and also happens in, in rhythm games like competitively is when you try to do inputs louder than your opponent so that you throw oh. you throw off their rhythm. So like maybe you do extra steps when you're not supposed to to throw off the rhythm That's of your opponent. That's interesting. That's play. wild. Um, and if you ever seen it's called like Evo moment number 37. 37. So um, it's Justin, Justin Wong versus Daigo. Wait, he did that? Well, if they don't talk about it because in the if you watch the clip, like it's just it's it gets you super excited because um, uh, uh, Daigo is essentially baiting out Justin Wong to do his super, but he parries the full super. Oh, that was and clutches, and clutches out the match. But while he's doing the um, while Daigo is doing the parrying, the which is which is very very rhythm based and very very tight timing. Um, Justin Wong has his finger, his hand on the stick, and he's just swinging it around as loud as he can to throw off the timing of Daigo. Interesting. So, so it, that's something that doesn't really carry over for some of the videos online because it just shows the actual it just shows, yeah, yeah, which is really exciting. And also so, the, the fact that they're going back and forth, it's because um, Daigo isn't just trying to, you know, protect himself. He's trying to move forward at the exact same time that Justin Wong's going to do the super because he knows he's going to do the super no matter what. Mm. And it, it makes me think still, honestly, still it's really really good skill but you know it's just there's something i find really interesting in regards to like just competing and playing in that level mm. where like you guys were talking earlier about how people hype you up but it's kind of a personal thing so it doesn't always really yeah. connect like i can definitely say with rhythm games it seems like it helps like rob and i have been going to like the arcade again recently playing like pump it up and stuff it's become my weight loss tool and nice. it, it works i've dropped 30 freaking pounds. Yeah, i'm really proud Whoa, of you let's man. go yeah i never saw that coming it's like it's just falling on top yeah that's high yeah like um but like the last like a weekend or two ago we went up there together to play mm. and rob is infinitely better at these games than i am it's not even a debate now as we were playing two players which i never really get to do 
he was picking songs that I typically can't do. And I'm like, I guess I'll pick like a level nine. He's like, no, pick 12. I'm like, are you daft? I can't even beat 10s. By the end of that day, I was beating 12s and 13s. Yeah, you need someone to like push you. It's like having a gym buddy, you know? Yeah, and yeah. the thing about it is like, I went up there again yesterday at like 9 o'clock. Yeah, I saw you post about that. And uh, played by myself. And I couldn't, I mean, I still was beating songs, but I wasn't doing as well as having a friend there being like, oh, come on, you can do it. Just knock it out. You know, so there's something to be said, like just that yeah. level of motivation. It really, really is, yeah. Video games are a communal experience. That's how I feel, at least. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, community, competition, and music. And Pringles. And Pringles. Open the can of Pringles. Pop. That's what mini games within other games are all about. How in the world did that become your segue? Because I think about Mario Party, it's all about competing against each other. I think about mini games, it's all about like, oh, we're having fun playing a game, but now I want to just shoot this basketball better than you for some reason. I regret not picking a track from Mario Party. I hope <laughs> one of you guys I did. I initially picked a track from Mario Party, but it's actually kind of really short. So I decided to pick music that was a little longer, but there are some killer tracks. I listened to I was driving to a networking event and I just listened to the Mario Party 1 soundtrack and just bopping my head to like, oh man, I haven't heard this song in years. And it and gives just, you memories too, right? Like it just fills oh you up boy. with those like triumphant sessions. Oh man. Grab bag and Mario Party 1 was a, a friendship game. ruiner. Yes. Because <laughs> like in later Mario Parties, they made it so that there was like a very like you could gain or lose 10 coins and game. That was pretty much the gist oh, of I it. I hate that thing. But in Mario Party 1... You could lose a ton of money, and Grab Bag was notorious. You would get a Bowser suit, and everyone else would just beat up Bowser and knock your money out of you, and there was no limit to how much they could steal. It was a game changer, and it would make people get thrown out of my dorm room. <laughs> I love Mario Party 1, but it is definitely the meanest and most sadistic. They're, like the the 1v3 paddle boat one is mean. The tug of rope one, which is the same mini game, but without the paddle boat. It's mm-hmm. just it. Th- there was a time that I went to a party and my friends and I were playing some Mario Party and we had, we were spinning the joystick with our palms, and then my friend saw me the next day and he said, "Hey, look!" And there's still just a big purple circle on his hand. <laughs> yeah, just like I showed him mine and we're like, "This game." Like you remember what they did, right? Like Nintendo released those special the gloves. gloves. They released gloves. They had what? to release special gloves. I didn't know that. Uh, no, yeah. I- <laughs> there's People a lawsuit. Were- Mm. Holy wow! These um the uh, the uh, way going way back further the Atari fifty two hundred, um they had the the joystick from the twenty six hundred was a standard like you know sticky up stick with a button on the side, mm-hmm. but when they went to the fifty two hundred they made a stick that was kind of on um it was kind of on like a little paddle situation where it was kind of rotated. Okay, and so many of the games on fifty two hundred were like track and field and stuff like that where you had to like how fast can you rotate the stick. And those things broke immediately. Oh, <laughs> you weren't designed yeah. for that. So, like, if you go to like a classic game swap or something, sure, you can find a an Atari fifty two hundred system pretty easily, pretty cheaply. But to find some controllers, you'll never find them. See, I do. I guess we just things. Just we technically break. just traded information because you didn't know about the glove. <laughs> we didn't know about this Atari situation. Yeah, I got really into the Atari when I was in high school, and I'm not. I don't know why. I guess I should have been playing PlayStation, but instead I was playing. 
demon attack and asteroids. Hey, it was wait, cheaper. You, you're still <laughs> playing Atari and like wait, PlayStation One. That's N64 comparable, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that time. I think PS One came out in like '95. Yeah, but all my friends are playing like Final Fever, like Final Fantasy Seven and stuff like that. Yeah, that was yeah. around '97. '97, I think. Yeah, so yeah, like sophomore year. My brother went to college, and he wanted. He asked. He was so anxious to get seven that he had me mail it down to him in North Carolina. I was like, "Oh, well, here you go." (laughs) I picked up seven when I was in high school, and it was still before it was on Steam and before a lot of digital distribution. But Mm. I found it at a flea market for like forty dollars in perfect condition. I was like, "Oh my god, I need to get this (laughs) because it's like eighty bucks online, lowest price." And I had thirty-two dollars. I was like, "No." My friend spotted me eight bucks, and it was. Still one of the best purchases I made, and I still have it. It's such good condition. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII. Uh, I give that game a lot of grief for personal reasons, but at the end of the day, <laughs> it was it, it was it was fantastic. It, one for its time, it just it blew me out of the it, water. I mean, like we had Dragon Warrior in the states like way 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 long ago, but I feel like it really brought JRPGs in the states in the West yeah. into uh, the mainstream. Aside from Final mm. Fantasy VII, the only RPG my brother ever played right. or was willing to try was Lunar 1. So, and I don't, I don't even know, know why one. he played Lunar 1. No. Lunar Silver Star? No, I don't know Lunar. Let's get this guy, Oh, man. man, we gotta talk! If there's like some like <laughs> obscure like RPG, not obscure, but you know what I mean. You I know what I mean. a game called uh, Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, which apparently was on the PSP, so no one played it. And yeah, so I'm working through that now. This guy. <laughs> I like this guy. That's an amazing I like soundtrack. this guy. Well, Check this out. So uh, I'm, re- I'm playing through Trails in the Sky second chapter right now. Hey. Yeah, see? And I'm playing through Trails of Cold Steel <laughs> right now. I'm doing the, both at the exact same time. Yeah, can there... It's weird. So, Trails of Cold Steel comes two years after Trails of the Sky second chapter. So, they're like separate but connected. Like they're it's like in a different country, right? Same yeah, universe. Like, but so exactly. are you trying to like play ahead of the spoilers? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. So, one takes place in the country called Liberal. That's uh, the Sky Games, and Erebonia is where the Cold Steel Games take place. Oh no way! And, and see, the- I didn't even know it was in Erebonia, and now I know. It's like I know that's it. that's a different <laughs> place. That guy's from there. Yep. And then at the, apparently, when Trails of Cold Steel Four eventually comes out. All the characters are going to come together because... No way. Yeah, I don't want to tell you why, because it's a ridiculously big reveal, but when you beat first chapter, Trails in the Sky, your ears are going to just... You're going to freak out, because that is probably one of the best plot twists in any JRPG I've ever seen. I didn't even know there was a plot twist. Oh, there's a... This game is cozy. This is the coziest RPG I've ever played. It's going to change. Oh, boy. (laughs) There's a twist of I'm enjoying this coziness, too. It's like, oh, you know, it's not a world... Ending cataclysm. It's just like, hey, uh, gotta find my dad. <laughs> yeah. I, I gotta tell you, but I'm gonna help the, all these people along the way. Just well, that's that's one thing I can tell you. Uh, these the Falcom RPG set. Um, ease aside, honestly, though, I still love ease to death. Um, they are really good at world building in their games. So yes. this entire all these trails games, even though world stakes sometimes come into play. It almost doesn't feel like it half the time because you're just kind of... They want you to get comfortable with the world and all the towns and the people so that when stuff does start happening, you're like, oh, man, but I like this town. They have the best pierogies at that one shop, and then I can't buy them anymore because it's barred off. 
you feel more about it for the than you do in typical games where it's like there's like five townspeople in two beds in one house. You know? <laughs> yes. So like there are these huge towns and there are all these nooks and crannies and instinctively you think there are going to be treasure chests with like loot. Nope. <laughs> There's nothing there. They exist because that's what a city would look like. And there are all these people that just have their own lives outside of yes. your story. And like this game, I was telling someone why, like part of why I love One Piece so much is that there's all this world around the main characters. And there's only so much that they see, but there's all these people who have their own things and they move forward with their, their stories and their dreams and their events at this like parallel to the main characters. And it's just so cool to see all this stuff happening in the world around you and it just makes it feel more alive it's beautiful it's so beautiful well we should get started with some music yes because i admit I, we could talk about trails forever forever right. and i know <laughs> we have some we have some, some video li- games <laughs> no, yes! we have some listeners that are way into trails too so we can back <laughs> that but yeah um, so we're gonna start with some music from that mitchell has chosen so um do you have the the tracks that you chose in front of you uh, not right now. I don't. <laughs> oh, I could pick a random one. Uh, I was thinking melee because Me- that. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is break the targets from Super Smash Brothers Melee. You're listening to Break the Targets from the game Super Smash Brothers Melee, composed potentially by one of these individuals, Hirokazu Ando, Shogo Sakai, and Tadashi Ikegami. So, this was picked by Mitchell, and so glad you did, because this and the multi-man Melee from Melee are my jams. They are my jams. This is taking me back. But out of curiosity, what is it about this track that takes you back? I have spent hours and hours and hours just doing break the targets and event battles and home run contests. And I especially love break the targets where they had these specialized courses designed for each individual character. I learned Young Link could wall kick because of that. And I would, I just remember there are times that I'd have like bad starts and I just reset over and over and over again. (laughs) And this song just is so grooving that it kept me motivated and kept me going. And when I went to Brawl, I just don't like the tracks for the home run contest or the, or the break the targets as much. And restarting into those over and over was like way less satisfying. It kind of wore me down faster. But this song and just grinding out those challenges and waiting for that a new record. It was <laughs> yes. it's euphoric. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a 
fantastic game. And I love the fact that you kind of touched on it when you mentioned Link, but uh, how the game, they designed the break the targets levels for each individual character. They each had their own stage, and they built them so that you had to use pretty much every single thing the character could do. And in some ways, you'd be using them in methods that the battles won't ever have you utilize. It's very intuitive and fun. It's it's just a it just showed just how much care and interest how how much love they put into designing this game. It's God, I love this game. I love this mood. I, I should feel- try it again now that I know how to wave dash. I wonder how different Luigi's is. Oh um, mercy, wave dashing that that's a that's a that's a, a technique that I employed in uh, the Marvel versus series, like Marvel Capcom. I think three. It was available three. in that too. Well, it's the it's the idea of you're able to dash. But you're also able to cancel the dash by like crouching, mm-hmm. but then you can dash right out of the crouch. So that means that you can, after you dash, you'd have like frames where he slows down before you can dash again, but you can cancel it to crouching. So you can go dash, crouch, dash, crouch, dash, crouch, and just do it super, super fast. This does make, make me think of a question though, because I think of, this comes up a lot when we talk about another game, which is going to tie into this. So wave dashing is a technique that was created because folks who were really into the game learned about this programming I don't want to call it you know flaw or error just a thing they discovered that allowed them to exploit it and play yeah they ex- changed their gameplay they style. exploited the way the game was designed yeah the yeah. devs knew about it before the game launched but they never got rid of it because I don't think they saw a reason to and oh my god does it define so much of competitive play right now and that's what makes me think of the question because so there's another game that I used to love a lot called Super Mario I'm sorry Mario Kart DS which oh that's one of the best ones yes yeah, I it like is I love that one but then there was one quote unquote flaw to it and that is the concept of snaking which mm. was a way basically it was a, a exploit method that was utilized in regards to how you would get the blue sparks to actually get speed right. bursts so you get speed bursts by doing a drift by like turning in a direction and then you know oversteering mm-hmm. like you like uh, initial d but you could you had these such long straightaways that you could just start your drift start your drift start your drift back yes. and forth back and forth back and forth to keep it going and that used to kill my fingers but i did it anyway because it, it's like and, i wanted to do better and that's what posed the question i'm posing yeah. so do you feel that when stuff like that the wave dash and the snaking when and this is a general opinion because there's no right answer to be honest is if you do you feel as though those discoveries ultimately enhance the meta play or do you think they detract from it because ultimately once they're discovered in order to really compete you have to master those things too or you'll <laughs> no, that's fall true. out of place it changes if the game's competitive what, what do you think mitchell so for racing games i feel like that's uh it's kind of different for 1v1s i personally think that uh these sort of mechanics are totally fine and they're like for f-zero gx a lot of racing games have snaking as a mechanic um, I think CTR has it, uh, and of course Mario Kart DS, but I know that the F-Zero GX has a category for no snaking. Really? Yeah, because it hurts. <laughs> it's, it's impressive. And then you see what the snaking version looks like, and you're like, what is this? And this is... This this must be what speed is, apparently. Yeah, because so. honestly, that game is hard enough to stay on the track without doing anything special. <laughs> yeah. So, the thing is that... Uh, with melee, I, I feel like that these sort of mechanics that provide a lot of depth are, they're totally fine because they're not mandatory in order to have a baseline level of experience. Like you, you don't have to snake in order to play 
Mario Kart. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't do that because I'm significantly more casual. Uh, but with the competitive level, if there's techniques that enhance the gameplay and it just keeps pushing, pushing, Melee's 18 years old and it's still going strong. Mm -hmm. I love that game. Yes. And, ugh. I feel, especially with the 1v1 stuff, if you discover something before somebody else, like, you're just going to do it. And then that becomes the new meta. And then you have to be able to do that. Um, when uh, P-linking or priority linking was discovered in Street Fighter 4, maybe it wasn't discovered probably before that, but it was started to be like really, really used. Like, you had to learn that technique just to get anywhere, uh, anywhere ahead. And it only gave you, like, one or two frames extra to input the next combo move but every frame counts every frame counts and like those if, one frame links if yeah oh god i know don't don't it's a don't get me started <laughs> my uh my main was able and he his bread and butter was a one frame link and so oh, i no. and so i would just spend hours just in training mode just doing that combo over and over again until it was just in my brain but i could never pull it off you know, consistently in a competitive state because I would just be like excited to be there and playing around people and then of course you know my brain's not going to function correctly that's me but with mm. every fighting game technique yeah. it's yeah. tough so um, let's keep up the competitive um, idea here the competitive thread and we're going to play uh, some music from the mini games of Street Fighter 3 Third Strike this is bonus stage 1 um, this is in the arcade, came out in the Xbox 360, PS3, and PS4 as the online edition, and it's composed by Hideki Okugawa. Back. You're listening to Bonus Stage 1 from Street Fighter 3 Third Strike. It's in the arcade and then the online edition on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 and 4, composed by Hideki Okugawa, which could easily be mistaken for Terminator X of Public Enemy because, man, this is some dirty, dirty breakbeat. Rob dropped some heavy lyrics over this yeah, thing, actually. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so he was... I think he's out. I think he's dead on. I can't even question yeah, it. Yeah, boy. Oh no. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll leave Flavor Flav out of this. But no, I honestly, Flavor Flav works. It's awesome. No, the uh, so oh, yeah. So we were talking about high school earlier. Um, I got really, really into not really into rap music, but like really into sampling, and um, and that's when I started d uh, DJing. And my friend, you know, Chris, yeah. he was really big into searching for records. 
um, for break beats and samples and stuff. And so what we would do is we would listen to um, old, old Public Enemy albums and then go and try to find the actual samples. And then we would recreate the songs. Really? Yeah. For, like We would sample the this, specific sections and then loop them and then recreate them again. And then when they were, we would be done, we'd be like, oh... Oh, we just, that's that's the song. <laughs> I guess we could have done something original, but we spent the whole afternoon doing this instead. But there's something to be said about, I think, if you are able to deconstruct and reconstruct, mm-hmm. it. I think it ultimately can, it teaches you more so that if you do decide to go on and create it your does, own stuff, yeah. I think it helps you for like constructing your own stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I did learn a lot about, you know, um, it's mainly about old samplers that I'll never touch again <laughs> in like turntables, but because now everything's I can use software. But um, uh, Mitchell, like, so I mean, with this game that's just it's completed now. Like, what are some things that you've learned along the way that maybe uh, you wish you you knew ahead of time? So for composing for Kine, um, let's see. There are. The thing about Kine is that the baseline is constant throughout the entire game. Whether you're in different levels, the trombone levels, the drum levels, accordion, or in your main menu, the baseline is constant. And so I had to then make, also when you progress through the levels, new layers get added on top. So as the puzzles become more complex, so does the music. But because it all is over one baseline, it's this one mega modular song. And sometimes it's really hard to write new things that <laughs> without just being redundant or also um, because you have to have something happening throughout the entire stem you can't just have big gaps in any of the stems otherwise no one would notice when a new one would come in mm. so how do I make things not muddy and all sorts of stuff but one thing that I did learn along the way is that sometimes you can be redundant intentionally and then it's layout motifs and now you got some narrative kind of stuff going on i like that where it's like you're you're uh, um like the section oh you repeated it a few times but now that's like kind of like a secondary like little verse that that, that can call back to the player right yeah so the the accordion and the trombone go on a date and so i actually have a <laughs> stem from like the, the accordion a joke at a bar <laughs> yeah no i yeah. love that they, they have a little boat ride together. It's really cute. But uh, the accordion has a has a stem that's in that level, and the trombone has a stem that's in that level. And they're played by different instruments, but you... Well, maybe you can recognize that it's like, oh, that's the saxophone line from the trombones, and that is the other instrument that I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I am genuinely looking oh, forward that. to this. Yeah. Like, I love... Because honestly, I was just expected to be like, here's a level, and here's a level. Almost like... Almost like Catherine's towers out without the other stuff outside mm. of the towers. No, but you're you but really, there's like a full on story going yeah, on. Yeah, and you're really too. using so so does it does it primarily use um, music as, as its language? Um, I mean there's little dialogue that happens before each level and actually kinda of during the levels sometimes too. Mm. Um, but I think that to me like the music is it's sort of being unfurled as the levels progress. And I think that it's used as a narrative tool. I don't want to get too much into certain things, but okay. I definitely want to give a talk about this at some point. <laughs> I'll be really interested in that. But um, let, let's keep the show moving along because we got some more mini games or mega game. No, I don't have <laughs> mega games. Okay. All of mine are quite smooth. 
Uh, I mean, so I think what's funny is like sometimes these mini games can like overtake what the actual game is, you know. And I think this might be an example yeah. of that because it did exactly that to me, <laughs> at least for a grand period of time. So this track is from the game Tokyo Xanadu EX Plus, and the track title is called Magical Girl Elisa, and it is composed by Takahiro Urisuga. <laughs> So you're listening to Magical Girl Elisa from the game Tokyo Xanadu EX Plus for the PlayStation 4, composed by Takahiro Unisuga. This game, this track is crack. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. Uh, That's so. This track is amazing. Uh, it's so crisp. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that like that keyboard comes in. I'm like, mm. and then it just takes off with the guitar. I was like, oh, whoa. Oh, it, when it got to that chorus with the um, um, when I went on to like the the, the four four, I'm like yes, give me more. But then when it cuts back to the to the initial verse, it's just it just makes me smile. It's a feel good. Track, Why would you right? do anything else in this game but listen to this song? It's kind of what happened. <laughs> so uh, Tokyo Zedadu is an action RPG that Falcom put out, and it's one of those games where you know. High schoolers discover superpowers of some sort. They go to wacky other world to fight big baddies. But during the day, you're a high schooler who does private actions and whatever. So Sounds like Persona. It's pretty much what Falcom's take on Persona was, honestly. Mm, That's why I always looked at it as like, this is what if Falcom made Persona? It would play like this. Um, huh. So just like how in Persona you'd have the, pri- the private actions and such. You just, oh, social links and that. And this is just private actions. And uh, there's other places you can go around the city, such as like mall, like stores or restaurants or whatever. But there's an arcade, a Sega arcade, believe it or not, what? that you can uh-huh. walk into. And there's a bunch of games set up, including a Puyo Puyo, which I'm hoping you can unlock to play fully later. But um, there's a game called Magical Girl Elisa, which is based off of a anime hero, think Sailor Venus, in that world. Mm. And the game is just whack-a-mole. It's whack-a-mole. But you actually <laughs> run around with the character who's carrying a mallet, and she has to whack the evil space mole aliens oh, that's funny. and knock them back in their holes. <laughs> so there's like an easy, medium, hard, and I want to say very hard mode that you can unlock and progress through. And I became so obsessed with this track that from the moment I found this game, 
I beat the entire thing in one sitting. So, I just kept coming oh, back. In one sitting? One sitting. I was like, I gotta keep doing it. Gotta keep doing How it. How long is this game? Well, it's just a mini game, mind you, but oh, I think it took uh, me like an hour and a half you, or so. You, oh, okay. I thought you meant that you beat the entire RPG oh, in a single sitting. Oh, heavens no. <laughs> so, like... Like this music was composed specifically for just the little mini game. Just for this. That's mini amazing. Game. That's so good. That's, that's, that's so good. I think Gunny Sugan knew. But it does. This kinda, is going to be the game you play. It does kind of sound like 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 a like a superhero anime like theme song though. Yeah. It has that feel to it. I think like the, the keyboard like kind of singing or voice to it, it has has like that kind of like. And there was Powerful. a particular added weirdness to it, too, because, again, it was whack-a-mole. So every time one of the aliens would come out of one of the holes, would always make this sound like, why shit? <laughs> why shit? And you're like, what? And you're like, wham, knock it down. And as you get like five, I'm like, why is shit? Why is shit? Why is it? Whack, 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 whack. And it's just the music plus the alien sound plus the hammer-whacking sound. It just created this cacophony of enjoyment. <sighs> You just felt like you had to keep doing it. And when one session was done, like, I got to go back. I got to do it, get a higher score. I got to get the perfect score. It was, it's so stupid good. And it should <laughs> not be because it's literally whack-a-mole. But it, I was in it. When a minigame pulls you in that hard, that's when you know that you're, that, that the game is good. <laughs> like they could have sold that on its own, but like you probably wouldn't have bought it because like, ah, oh, it's whack-a-mole. It's not worth $40, but no, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'll tell you another one. I didn't pick a track from it, but... We talked about the game earlier. Final Fantasy VII snowboarding minigame oh, did that right, to me, yeah. too. Oh, man. Played it to death. To death did every course. <laughs> like, this is so fun. Oh, dang. I didn't even know there was more than one course. Mm-hmm. Multiple courses. Like, I I loved that minigame. Uh, it know, was quality. Okay, I've spent more hours on the Final Fantasy X minigame than I ever planned on doing. Oh, Blitzball? On Blitzball. That's not a minigame. Oh, That's a hell game. I have two more games left, Pernell. <laughs> two more. See, and then I'm freed from my prison. That mini game was my was pretty much what made me say Waka's benched forever. <laughs> Unless an actual event requires he's, him. He's, he's such, benched. He's such a good character in the game. Was such a poor hobby. Such a, yeah. I don't know why like what's funny is that um, like his character he wears like the, the Blitzball, you know, sports outfit through the whole game. Mm-hmm. But he's like one of the worst players. <laughs> like, you, Is he? You trade him right away. <laughs> wow. Oh, my That's like this. I have not played. I So I got 8, 9, and 10, and I haven't started them yet because I still have to play Chrono Trigger. Okay. Before I play Chrono Trigger, I have to play. You made the right decision. Yeah. You I, made the but, right decision. Yeah, Chrono Trigger is a beautiful game, but 10 is, is like, I, I really believe it's one of my favorite like RPGs. I think it's one of the best, um, despite uh, any of its flaws. It's just so beautiful. Um, I'm just laughing at you trading Waka from the start. There should be oh, like yeah, they should remake terrible. the game for the PS6, you leave. and when it just has like this little like side event that they just program in specifically for you trade Waka away. Yeah, he's like seriously, bro. Just drop them all. Still have John DiMaggio do the voice though, so he can just have like that. Yeah. He'll just trans- John DiMaggio is the voice actor of Waka. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, now I'll never. Oh god, when I eventually play that game, I'm just gonna hear it. Now just imagine. You know, Waka doesn't... He sounds like... You can tell it's him, but he's not his typical characters. He's yeah. playing like a very laid-back, relaxed guy. Now, imagine him getting traded, and all of a sudden he goes bender on you. And he's just like, <laughs> what What is this, dude? Actually, when you he, when he trade him, he actually has like a little saying. He goes like, well, I guess it's time to retire now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you suck, Waka. So um, you should put him on the other team well, and have to play against him. When you get to it, or if you ever do get to it, and you're interested in the minigame, don't even bother with it until until like the post game 
because it's not it's it's impossible to, to finish not until you get jet oh, shot boy. yeah it's it's very very difficult and esoteric and it's like learning to play a video game about football without, where they pull your teeth with tweezers well, where you don't know anything about football and you're kind of figuring out as you go um, and they hit you in the hand with a hammer every inning it's not that bad it's okay it's pretty bad um, <laughs> alright so we're on to uh, our next mini game this one's from Mitchell um do you know what you're going to pick next? Oh, uh, I think I was going to pick the song that was from Kirby 64. Yes, this is um, Taking Battle. Yeah, Taking Battle. Uh, it's or talking. Or battle. it might be called Bumper Crop Bump or something. Let me double check that. Bumper Crop. Well, anyway, this is from. Uh, we'll get this. Look at this loaded up. This is from Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards, composed by Jun Ishikawa. listening to Bumper Crop Bump from Kirby 64 The Crystal Shards for the Nintendo 64 composed by Jun Ishikawa and I don't know anything about Kirby 64 so why don't oh, you really? uh, yeah why don't you enlighten me about what this oh, uh, what this mini game is okay so first I got to say that Kirby 64 is my main primary one and that one is actually kind of different because instead of having specific powers like parasol and beam it has combinations so you would have um, you would combine like fire and spike and you would get like fire arrows or you could do fire and cutter and you get a fire sword and it, would, it had this really cool combination system that I was a really big fan of the minigames there were three of them and they're all actually really fun uh, I was really a big fan of the checker one but I think the music of this one in particular just it just it also syncs up really hard because at some point in the I think after it loops, when it gets into the da 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 da, the tree that you're collecting fruit from shakes really hard, and then it just drops a bunch of fruit and bombs, and so then it becomes like kind of a scramble mode as oh, you like cool, try cool, and like cool. nudge past your opponents and like swipe in to get the fruit at the last second. <laughs> it's I actually really fun. I genuinely feel like just deep down, just from our last episode with Misses, we have a lot in common yeah. with gaming <laughs> taste. So. I've played darn near every Kirby game. Only one I'm probably lacking is like Planet Robobot right now. And I agree. Kirby 64, as far as like gameplay mechanics, 
next to possibly canvas curves, but definitely in regards to just Kirby's powers, it's my favorite one. And my favorite power, of course, is electric plus ice is refrigerator Kirby. Yeah, <laughs> so that. cool. That's a clever idea. It's so awesome. Yeah. I don't know why it didn't take off. It made it cool for like solving the puzzles to get the secret items because you had to get the right combination of powers, and they gave you enough clues that you weren't scrambling to figure out what they wanted you to do. It was just I I hand drew a chart that ranked. I like drew little <laughs> pictures of like what each power was, and I would rank their how good they were. Like fire, ice, one. That power sucks. It's <laughs> terrible. It does nothing. I have no idea if it can even hurt people because all it does is that you melt. It's <laughs> and you know what's great? Over you. Rock and spike. That's a drill. It's Gurren Lagann. It's you go really fast. You can shoot it as a projectile. It just grinds through every enemy in the way. That power is sick. It was just Kirby was he it. was at his most powerful in that game. He oh, yeah, yeah, like, like a, a meta tier list of all like the powers he could do. But in the just game. just yeah. imagine you turn a refrigerator, you barf food at enemies and it kills them. <laughs> then you turn back into Kirby and eat the food you just puked it heals you. to heal yourself. <laughs> to heal yourself. I, I gave so it a ten because if you heal yourself in that, like you'll never die. Theoretically, it it's was. probably not actually a ten, but. <laughs> It should me as a kid it was. No, it totally deserves that ten. I know it's a cartoony game, but man, that is not sitting well with me. Kirby <laughs> in general, like I have a buddy, listener Brian Pitt. Uh, he has. I, I thought about it, but he really brought it to my attention just how just messed up the Kirby concept, the franchise is, as far as like plots go and the villains. It's like wild. Like he posted like a meme the other day where it was like Kirby gaze be like this, and it was like Kirby's <laughs> lying out enjoying the sun and eating a cake, and then the next image is like. The death, of, the, the death of all universes is coming to Dreamland in the form Cosmic of Cosmic Devourer. <laughs> there, <laughs> my God. There's a, um, there's a guy named uh, Wooly Madden who has a YouTube channel called Wooly Versus, and he has a couple of videos that are dedicated to reading descriptions of the bosses in like this sort of Dark Souls-esque way, and it's like <laughs> kind of like old god mythos style, <laughs> and awesome. it's like dark. And then... Yeah, Kirby, just like, oh, it's just another day in Dreamland. You eat food, you destroy cosmic devourers and universe-crushing enemies, <laughs> and then you go back and you eat more food with your friends. That's Kirby. <laughs> it's so amazing. Like, the adventure starts, King Day to Day just stole Kirby's strawberry cake. You better go get it back. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Why does this exist? Now, go stop the so devourer of worlds. <laughs> yes, with the rainbow drops. The one who cannot be named and drives everyone insane. <laughs> Except yeah. Kirby, because Except Kirby's Kirby. already insane. Because he's very hungry. All right, you know what drives me insane? Kirby. Ice hockey. American ice hockey. No, Canadian ice hockey. This is Blades of Steel for the NES for now. Yes. Blades of Steel. This is composed by Shinya Sakamoto, Katsuki Muraoka, Atsushi Fujio and Kiyahiro Sada, one of those Konami All-Stars. This is the intermission music, not the fighting game. Oh, I know. Yeah, this is the I inter- where you're going yeah, with this. In- intermission from Blades of Steel for the Nintendo Entertainment System.
so good. That was Intermission from Blades of Steel for the Nintendo Entertainment System, composed by Shinya Sakamoto, Katsuki Miraoka, Atsushi Fujio, and Kiyohiro Sada. Wow, that's just that just takes me back to being really young. I haven't heard that track in years. Learning how to play immediately. hockey with my brother, and then um, halfway through the game, watching all the little men like do the little like like little circles around the ice, and then all of a sudden like a, uh, a a banner flies across the screen and it is a it was Gradius right the first boss in Gradius 1 it was like an advertisement for Gradius and suddenly the controller you can actually play the first boss from Gradius 1 in the middle of Blades of Steel hockey that's it, insane it was so cool it was really cool you could win and ob- and if you won don't get me wrong you didn't like unlock stage 2 know, or anything I but it was still so cool hard. to be like what if I tried so hard because like, this song is really short so like if you can complete it you don't win anything nothing happens it just feels good it just feels really good but yeah. you know back then we were kids and there was high, you know playground rumors and stuff so there was yeah. always that thing where it's like you know if you beat that boss seven times in a row yeah. you'll actually unlock the full Grotty's oh, game yeah. in Plays of Steel we'd fight oh, over the controller is. to be like oh I wanna play it now I wanna play it now but like is this Virtua Fighter in the Yakuza series <laughs> <laughs> exactly that same logic where you're like you can unlock a game within a game well Blades of Steel was really interesting in that way where like there was the the main hockey game but there was also if you bumped into each other enough you could fight and it wasn't just like in ice hockey where they would just kind of rumble around and someone would end up the loser like it would turn into like a street fighter style you had like health bars you had to throw punches <laughs> you had to throw punches at each other um, and so like that was its own little mini game and then this was its own little mini game even through the intermission it was always fun yeah. playing it with my brother because it would always start out with the in game fighting and then it would become the out of game fighting and then Absolutely. someone's getting in punishment um, that that was carried over into NHL 94 through 98 on the Sega Genesis because you can get into fights in that game too and um, I think it was 94, 95, you can actually knock people out of the game and like little, they'd have like a head injury and like little pools oh of blood gosh. would come out of the ice. There's something to be said oh, about so it. classic. My brother knew exactly how to hit people in the game just right to knock my whole team out. It was like, oh ever, my gosh, ever watch, dark. What, was, what was that? What was that classic 80s sci-fi movie where it was, um, it was like a, a roller Blades derby? Tungsten? No, it was like a roller derby, but it was like in the future and people would die. Um, Skate bros. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was Skate Pro. I don't know what you're talking about, but I can absolutely a picture about this. It was like, a, I can just totally mentally imagine was this roller games. 80s sci-fi futuristic but super 80s roller derby combat battle dome thing. All right, you know what? I'm He's looking at I, I Rollerball. It was called Rollerball. Rollerball? Yes. From the 70s? It was Oh, yeah, 1975. They they made a remake in the late 90s or early 2000s with um Ice Cube, not Ice Cube, uh with LL Cool J, because of course he was in it. Um, and this, <laughs> I'm talking about rollerball instead of ice hockey. Uh, yeah, so it's like a futuristic sport. Everyone's super into it. It's kind of like football, but it takes place on like a roller derby rink. And there's people on motorcycles, and they're and, they, and they're pulling people on the on, on their the skates. skates to go faster and faster. And they have like spikes and stuff on their hands. Well, that sounds dangerous. And then eventually, a team learns that they could actually take out other players from other teams to win so that instead of just scoring points so they, they learn just, to use the spikes to actually hurt people <laughs> yeah i'm not that they learn Shocker. it but like it becomes like the evil team they, they just start taking out the other teams and so it's all about like this guy is kind of going through this, the this, ranks and this then it, premise just sounds oh, so weird it's like no, okay we give yeah. you all the tools to just be violent and it becomes a discovery 
No, that you can knock people out. Well, it's all about like I mean, it's it's the seventies and eighties. Everyone's like, oh my god, it's humanity becoming the worst of itself, you know. And and um and, and so at the end of the game, it's just two players left on the field, and they and they have the giant steel ball they use to score, and they're just pounding on each other on the on the uh, on the rink. And he's about to smash the other guy's head in, and he looks up and he sees all of the people cheering him on, and I think he just puts the ball away, and like that's the credits roll. He's like, "What have we become?" Of course, there's probably like maybe, maybe, maybe he kills him. I don't know. The cuts. Is this movie good? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> that's a good response. No. Uh, oh my god! Well, I mean, it came out in '75. I, I must have watched it when I was, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe six. Like, it was like on on uh, like a freebie HBO thing, like when we were real little. <laughs> I should not have watched it when I was that young. But oh, I, that's how it was back in the eighties. Everybody watched movies. They but I remember trying to watch it again, but I think it was and then it was in my twenties, and it was after a night of um, hanging out with friends, playing rollerball, <laughs> <laughs> and so not the, the whole plot didn't really stick in my brain. But yeah, anyway, go watch Rollerball. It's it's, it's uh, you hear this mess? Is it a good I? movie? No. no, go watch Rollerball. No, like, you, you just told him it was terrible. No, if you want to watch a really good cheesy, but like a good cheesy campy sci-fi like 70 70s 80s movies you should watch uh, robot jocks because that's really interesting it, that takes place in the future where um, people pilot giant mecha robots with motor with bikes it, it, but no no like huge robots like like gundam style robots now, do the gundams pull people on skates no but they use it to settle disputes settle um government disputes in the future there's no more wars there's just giant robot fights. See now, this this I like it. Admit like that along with the, what was it? There was an anime I, I watched a ways back. It has like a uh, I don't like the bit. There's like kind of subcons I don't like about, but otherwise it's great. Called like No Game No Life or something like that. Oh oh man, that anime. It's a it's an amazing concept. Like it's the same logic. Like it's oh. an RPG world, but all the battles are done by playing games. Like there's mm. no actual violence. It's just games. And uh, the laws of physics prevent violence, and all disputes must be resolved through games by like the law of the universe what? that they exist in. It's trashy because it's an isekai, and they just lean into that trashiness so hard. Mm. But I'm like, oh man, how is he going to figure out how to get around <laughs> these games? Because he can't read minds, but the other people can. Yes. Oh, why is there no season two? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, we get we get along so well. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you should watch it. Like admit, like, it's like Mitchell said though. There's some there's some stuff to skirt around. You're like, ah, I don't know about that part. But the games themselves eclipse all of it because, like like Mitchell said, like there's like the different there's like different races and species in the world, so they have abilities. Mm. That allows them to cheat at the games half the time, oh. and the main characters are just humans. And it's like, oh, all right, well, I'm playing chess, but <laughs> in this game, that guy can read his mind and know what moves he's going to make. So, how do you beat a guy that knows every move you're going to make in chess? He figures out the how to thing, do it. The rule also, because there's like ten rules of the land, and one of them is if you're caught cheating, you are disqualified. But that doesn't stop people from cheating. <laughs> so that's part of the game. Um, there's also a movie that's uh, that's actually pretty good. And like I realize that I'm secretly Isekai trash where I'm like, oh, you know, these are all the same things. This guy falls into another world, collects a bunch of girls, blah, 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 save the universe. And then like I just I watch ReZero. I watch this. I watch Don Machi, which is not an Isekai, but feels like one. And I'm just like, oh, man, what's going to happen? I'm so excited. And I'm like, oh, man, I still got to watch so ReZero. Basic. 
But I will say the two that always stuck with me was back in the day I watched El Hazard. That was probably my first one. Oh, El Hazard. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, there's a current one. The most recent one I really got into was uh, what was that darn show freaking with the – it's it, the girl Megumi. You probably know what I'm talking about. Like Megumi and Darkness and uh, it's going to oh, come – Oh, you're talking about um, the, the, the comedy one. Yes. Like, what is – Konosuba. Yeah, Konosuba, love that show. It it, it goes hard onto the on the RPG shows because the character actually does level up. The characters all actually level up, and he had, the main character actually has like his level up stat card. It's like okay, he goes to the guild. Like you have one stat, but you can allocate it to a skill. He's like, I need to figure out what skill I want to learn. He learns like thief, and like because like he's not really good at fighting or anything. He's like, I just become a thief character. So he's like, I learned to steal. It's a it's a fantastic show. Again, it has it's some like a satire version of Isekai. Total satire. Because oh, he's surrounded by all these girls, but he like low key hates them all. And he's also kind of a trash person. Mm. So. They're, they're actually all like it's almost like I don't want to say always sunny in a sense because they all they do ultimately try to help people. You keep saying Isekai. What's Isekai? Oh, Isekai means in another world. Okay. It's this genre of anime and light novel that <laughs> guy who's usually just like shut in, plays video games, blah, 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 dies, gets hit by a truck or whatever. And then he wakes up in this other world and he's like this destined hero and he has to go save this new world. And then like he meets all of these girls and they mm. introduce like the world and here's like the cool rules and here's how magic works and blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on and on. And it's like it's been done over and over and over and somehow I still get suckered into it. <laughs> and then Konosuba flips it because he's not destined. Yeah. He's just some dude oh, it's who's like, sleeping in a stable. It's like the uh, um, the comic book origin story movie that we've been getting over and over again. Like we'll just I, we'll still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's still there, but maybe not as trashy. <laughs> it just hits all the notes. It's, it's all, all the it notes. Really is. Yeah. yeah. All right. So and, uh, mm. ReZero is like the deconstruction, and Konosuba is like the satire version because ReZero is like dark sometimes. It's like. Oh yeah, you wake up in another world, but here are all of these problems that you might actually face. And that's also the one where no he keeps money. dying, right? What is that? Also, the one where he keeps dying and resurrecting. Yes, and it's awful. And he's like, it's he like throws up when he like keeps respawning because it's terrible. Oh wow! Yeah, because like there's like a point where he like he doesn't know what to do and he doesn't know how to like help people at some point, so he has like. Sort of like this defeatist attitude because it's like Majora's Mask. And at some point, there's like that futility existential crisis where you're like, what's the point of this all? Like, what am I going to do? I can't do anything. Everything's just going to keep resetting over and over. So I thought that was actually really cool and interesting. Yeah, I've, 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 I've accepted. I've decided I'm starting Ray Zero this oh, weekend. Yeah. Yes. The episodes are this, waiting or... for me. Yeah, you, I've been convinced. Like, I already wanted to watch it. I just never sat and started it. It's going to happen. It's going to be me, done. Konosuba I liked, but it just made me want to watch Don Machi, where it's like, I like this, but I just want more Don Machi. And it finally <laughs> came out with a season two, so now I have to get around and watching that. Yes. All right, so we're on to your final track. Mm-hmm. Cool. Also, we got to give Rob credit where credit's due. This guy is really good at keeping people on track when everybody else yes. has gone off the rails. I- I'm watching like my timer go across. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like counting the minutes, but I'm like... Because honestly, it's bad enough when I do it, but you have two people doing it today. You're in double trouble. That's all right. No, this is good because like when when we uh, when we connect well with our with our guests, which we almost always do, I feel like it's the listeners who win. 
<laughs> but also we win because this is a friend. This is a fantastic conversation. Yeah, it, it, makes, I'm it, it. it makes for good makes for good podcasting. All right. So what you got? So I have to pick this track because for all the tracks I did have as an option for this, I feel like this is the next one that I resonate the most with. So I'm just going to pick it. Um, this is from the game Super Monkey Ball on the Nintendo GameCube. Track title is Monkey Target. And the composer, I don't know which one specifically, so I'm going to name all the ones I saw. Hide Nori Shoji, Sakai Osumi, and Haruyoshi Tomita. Welcome back. You're listening to Monkey Target from the game Super Monkey Ball and Nintendo GameCube, composed by Hidenori Shoji, Sakai Osumi, and Haruyoshi Tomita. And as we were talking about during the break, I think we pretty much all agreed that Monkey Target, in many ways, kind of eclipses the actual Monkey Ball game mm -hmm. as far as just like how addictive it was and how often it got played. Like my friend circle back then, we still work at KB Toys. And we'd all like clock out and go to my one friend's house, like do like like thirty minutes down the road. Oh, and we'd all just bad. grab a bunch of beverages and sit down and just play Monkey Target ad nauseum, just trash talking each other too, because <laughs> oh it was um, it was such an amazing game. And all it is is a monkey and a ball, and it's monkey ball rolling down a hill, propelling off the edge. And then the ball can separate and become a hang glider, and you're trying to land on a target where there are a number of zones that are worth various points. That's literally the entire game. And you're listening to this specific track the entire time. And it's addictive. It's so, so good. Is it set up to be, is it set up to be like a versus thing or is it? Yeah. Yeah. 
It's basically like four people curling simultaneously. Love it. Oh, simultaneous. Yeah, if I remember correctly, you can actually knock other people off. You can bump people. (laughs) It's just, this is amazing. Like this, and that's why I'm glad, because apparently, I'm not sure if they're going to bring this minigame back. Monkey Ball's actually coming back at the end of October. Like fighting game, like tournaments. It's like Banana (laughs) Blitz, though. That's the not good one. Oh, I never got to play Banana Blitz, but it sounds like I dodged a bullet. It's not, that game has a ton. Okay. I have so many things to say. First, <laughs> my friend and I will sometimes just go, hey man, remember we beat Super Monkey Ball 2? Like, I'll tell my grandkids about it. So, <laughs> that game is so hard, sharing. but it's so good. But Banana Blitz is just very mediocre. There's so many things I don't like it. There's jumping, there's waggle, there's um, the music at times is kind of really uh, kind of exhausting. There's like 50 mini games. One of them is a first-person shooter, which is actually really fun, but is kind of limited. There's a trombone mini game. What? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> trombone. Like I this? think they do have the um, the target one though. That might be back, but frankly, I don't remember because that game, I I usually try and beat games that I own. I never beat that one. Well, maybe we'll luck out because since it's going to be on the Switch, I mean, well, on one hand, while it is, there is potential for the waggle via the That's Joy Cons. I have a feeling they may be more inclined to pull it out because they'll be they'll be thinking about people playing it in handheld mode too. Right. So, do you think do you think that um, a lot of the switch the newer switch games have kind of scaled back on the on the motion control? Um, oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I feel like that's what happens with all of Nintendo's like uh, quote unquote gimmicks. They'll come up with a system. Mm-hmm. They'll have these features that you can apply to your games, and maybe like the first like wave of games, let's say over the course of two months or three months of release. Maybe 50% of them will use that mechanic or that new item. And then the rest will just like, how do we make this as typical as possible to not detract players? Right. And Besides 1-2-Switch and Breath of the Wild, what has motion controls? Um, Super Mario Party. But that's Nintendo first oh, party, that's so it true. almost doesn't count. Oh, Odyssey. That's actually really fun, though. Odyssey had, had something you could do with it. Yeah, but... It's one of those things where, like, right. with Odyssey, I don't think it was enough to make you go, oh, crap, you need I think you can even turn it off in Mario yeah, Odyssey. Yeah, but it was like to throw the hat or something. Yeah, I was like playing that. with my nieces, and you can play that, like, kind of cooperatively. One, one person plays as the hat, mm-hmm. um, and we had fun doing that. But, like, that wasn't, like, if I was trying to, like, really tear through the game or, like, through some of the later levels, we would never have gotten through it. Like, a part of me almost wants to take the Switch out right now and just go down the list and be like, no motion, no motion, <laughs> no motion. <laughs> But like, yeah, like there's very little. Well, it's about to get very, very, very emotional with the. Um, oh God, that was terrible! Thank you, everybody. <laughs> it was terrible. That's for these I guys. I just realized I was a pun. It was that bad. <laughs> we love you, Rob. I quit. <laughs> no, um, this was this a- has been the <laughs> Pixels podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, to get- oh, I guess I can go to bed early now. Uh, no, uh, so. The the um the the, the new Wii Fit uh, not the Wii Fit yeah it's, a, it's the Fit controller right the, oh, I yeah. about the one that's coming out in a week or two Ring, Ring Fit the Ring, one the, the game Ringu, Ringu Fit Mitch, Mitchell will appreciate this possibly get us get let's get Mitchell's take on it so um I'm in this painful hiatus where I'm not buying any new games for the month of October mm-hmm. now people sometimes say but you get review games doesn't matter it's not about the games it's the activity of buying the game that's the, is, the, is the trick right so but there is one game i want to just say screw it i want to buy it that is ring fit adventure which is coming out in about a week or two specifically because i've gotten heavily into fitness and trying to get better in better yeah, shape yeah. 
And I think that is just one level more into like just getting into shape. Like it's another activity I can do at home if I want to drive up to the arcade and burn those calories. Do you think it's cheating to buy it <laughs> in October or should I wait till November first? Okay, I totally understand that sentiment. I'm like right now debating about the Humble Monthly with Crash Bandicoot and Spyro Trilogies. Mm. And I'm like, that's a really good deal, mm-hmm. but money and time. Mm-hmm. So with, oh man, does the fitness justify the purchase? That I'm saying, is, you gotta, you gotta find like, hmm. a, like a, a Best Buy that has it hooked up that you can try it first. Cause you don't know if it's something that you're gonna wanna continue to do. I think that's a smart idea. Because like you're doing like boxing and the kickboxing and, and pump it up and, and other stuff. So you might be like, well, this is not really doing anything for me. That's a good point. And also, you got to clean your living room. That is, I've already done that. Oh, you have? You've been in, pre- in preparation? Not so much in preparation, just in the, I need to do something like this door living oh, okay. room. Okay. Not that you have a, a dirty house. I'm just saying that like you have that really big coffee table. Yeah, think less dirty home and more. This guy has a lot of video games, <laughs> and he doesn't want any of them to be up in the library because he wants to have access to all of them right now. <laughs> so it's just like, here's a shelf with gaze. Pick yeah. that one, play it, and put it on the coffee table. That kind of home. It, it looks exciting. I am, I'm so suspect of any motion controls, especially... Of any motion controls, I feel like things need to be buttons. I'm suspect of touch controls. I like to have buttons, you know, things I can turn, dials, like you know, doodads, things you dials. can put your palm on a joystick and spin it around until you get blisters on oh, no. your hands. <laughs> I have wants- to say though, the besides the Joy-Con drifting issue, Joy Cons are really incredible. I got my Switch used with like three games, mm-hmm. and one of them was one two Switch, which I would have never purchased anyways. But there's one that's like how many marbles are in this box and you hold your switch and you like tilt it around and you try and feel how many balls there are in it and it is honestly like really accurate haptic feedback really because i've never gotten to play one two switch so i this is interesting to hear yeah that one minigame in particular is like wow this is this feels really good and actually feels like you're holding a ball like you're holding a box that has balls in it like that's one two three that i think that's four because it feels like there's actually that. So that it, that itself is really impressive, and it's part of why the Joy-Cons are so mm-hmm. expensive. Um, well, as I, for the... But that's yeah, the I, haptic feedback, and I'm not sure about the motion controls, well, which that's are interesting. honestly fine. I feel like if they, if they continue to improve these things, that just means that in the future, developers can have a, a more... They, accessibility could be more on the front of their minds because the technology is there for the, for the players. So... Um, the downside of if the you don't if you're vision impaired or if you're hearing impaired like all of these things that we all take for granted to play like to have the full experience of just normal video games that we play today like having all these other different things you can do not just to experience the same game but to experience other games I think it's a great it's a good thing I think therein lies the challenge though because I mean get your guys' take on it too but I feel like one of the big issues that seems to come about and why people don't like really go all in like they can is because a lot of developers just kind of find themselves going, we need to make this game as portable as possible, not as in handheld carry, but more like transferable to other mediums or other systems mm-hmm. to maximize their buck. And also, they're always be, I think there's just this fear of alienating potential customers, not in the sense of like what you're discussing where it's like, well, this isn't handy capable. It's more like, well, we want this game to be 
play exactly like every other game they're used to, so it's not a learning curve to yeah. pick up the mechanics. Yeah, but there's always going to be smaller smaller developers, smaller groups that are, are going to be interested in doing things. And for those and smaller groups, we love you. Exactly. And, um, you know, like the developers of Kine and stuff like that, the... The, the tools that are available now are so much more available now than they have been in the past mm-hmm. that anybody can, can really get sit down and get to work and, and build something great. And I think that's a, a great time that we're living in despite all of some of the, the not so great things that are being developed right now too. I think despite that, we live in a great world. Oh yeah, yeah. like there's a lot of great games. It's, it's happened up. to music ages ago, like hey. with, with recording becoming easily available. And for the record, this goes to you two and anyone listening right now. If you can think of a game that breaks the mold, mm-hmm. I'll say, and does something that you don't think any other game does, whether it be mechanically or accessibly or whatever. Kick that word over this way because I'm those are ones I typically try to gravitate towards. I play a lot of games, oh, okay. but yeah. I really like to look for games that do something really different or try to do something beyond the normal scheme of, scope of things. Oh. I just finished Outer Wilds. Holy crap. Outer Dang Wilds? It. The right. one that is not the Outer Worlds. Outer oh, that's right. There's one coming out this month. Yeah, wow. the Outer Wilds. Okay. So that outer... game is nuts. Also, Oberdin. That game is also nuts. You talked about this. I actually want last that. Week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was, I, unfortunately, I didn't get the review code that went to someone else, but I'm probably going to buy it. That's the return of Oberdin, right? It's coming to the Switch yeah. in two weeks, I think. Yes. Uh, Captain Robert Witherell for Smash. <laughs> Once <laughs> I learn who that is, I may agree with you. He's the first person that you ever he's you he's the person that you learned who he is immediately. Oberdin is I think about that game still. I played it months ago. I, I could, still think about that game. I could definitely say listener Rebecca will be happy to hear that because oh, oh she she went on about this game too. It. Yeah, and if I, Anthony listens, he I, also loved it. I played it over four nights. The first two nights, I finished seeing everything, and the next two nights were me just wandering through everything, just trying to piece together what happened to this person. I haven't seen him in hours. <laughs> where did he go? Oh, so where there's like, he? so there's like an outer game there, where it's like you can just kind of steamroll to get to the end, or you can just kind of do more exploration and learn more about the world and the characters. So the point of the game is that you have to figure out what happened to each individual. If they, um, you have to figure out who they are how they died if they died and who killed them if someone killed them um because uh, essentially the point of the overdin is that this ship disappeared eight like a while ago and it just suddenly kind of came back and so you are an insurance claims person which is like the weirdest thing oh, like wow. why is that interesting but what happens is that you have this pocket watch <laughs> that brings you to the moment that the person died and you get a freeze frame and you can walk around in this area and see what is happening in this exact instant the person dies and you can, the, the, you, you, like, once you see everything, you are able to leave, but you need to, um, like, there's, like, better outcomes, essentially. Like, oh, you can, like, get a really bad ending if you only, like, I figured out 12 people when I was able to leave. And I had 40 more people to actually, like, like, concrete figure out what happened to them. And because the game has only so much information is concrete. Um, hmm. There's only so much stuff that's like this person was called by name by this other person, so I actually know who they are. But some things you just have to infer by their uniforms, by their like their jobs and their locations, by their clothing. It's oh god, it's crazy. This that's so like, cool. This that sounds like potential crack too. Yeah, 
that you just fall down the rabbit hole with this thing. And I love the uh, the style of it too, right? It's all like like the, like the art style is really different. I just yeah, yeah. it's like black and whitish. Yeah, yeah, I certainly remember. I just like this thought of being like a junior detective going to this crime scene, like saying, "Okay, this guy's in the ground, and he looks like he might have gotten shot." He fell at this angle from the looks of it. Chances are the bullet came from, you're like turning your character like, over there! <laughs> you point, and you're like just really trying to piece this entire scene together from a still. An explorable so still. Good. It's going to happen. See, I have a list of games I'm writing yeah, for when yeah, you talk about this. You're like, oh, I want to get this horrible. one. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Maybe you're going to, are you going to binge in, in November? I don't think I will. I think what's going to ultimately happen is when the month ends, yeah. I'll have this list of titles. <laughs> And some will probably just fall off the side. Like, did I really want that? Mm. Now that the newness is going, did I care? I think Overdin is definitely going to be on that. I'm still getting this list. You you are getting that game. I'm yes. telling you right now. That, and I think I want Indivisible, though I'm debating if I want to wait oh, for it. Oh, I was a backer. Oh, you were a backer? I, I was a backer, so I haven't started it yet because one time, there's a, there are a couple of characters that weren't, they didn't make it to launch. And I'm like, I'm finishing a couple of games, so I might as well just take my time. I'm playing Sexy Brutal right now, which is kind of a weird name for a game. But um, Mark Brown actually talks about clockwork games, and um, Outer Wilds is like that. Uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but Outer Wilds is a game where there's a big, like, it's kind of like Majora's Mask, uh, and things rewind time. So Sexy Brutal is like that, too, where stuff happens between these 12 hours, and you have to go around and see like what happens and like piece things together, kind of. You just, I, like I think that. it's, I think it's hilarious that you unintentionally just put me onto a genre of game that one I didn't know existed, but also always wanted. Because there's a game I've always liked called Ephemeral Fantasia. Most people hate it, and for very good reason, because <laughs> it was very poorly developed in a lot of ways. But the game's core is a character in an RPG world mm. who is trapped in a three-day loop on a Groundhog Day, and at the end of the loop, he can fight the final boss, and if he can win, he can break the loop, but he usually doesn't and gets kicked back. So throughout the game, you're trying to find characters you can recruit and help, but you got to learn their schedules and where the character may die so you can save him, keep him from dying. Mm. This one character is like an alcoholic, so you got to keep her from drinking. As so a concept, that sounds so much my jam. Yes, it, it clicked. But you said it was bad? Well, it was it's bad critically acclaimed. As far as the critics are concerned, it was bad. Like, I found oh, enjoyment yeah, it's in it. Oh, less than 50%. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's one of those games where, like, I feel like at this point, you can get it for, probably get it for so cheap that it wouldn't mm. even hurt you just to dabble in it and but see what you think. It sounds like it really caught your uh, your imagination. Oh, it, it, yeah. it, it, hit, it hit me like a sack of Guess juicy what, oranges. It's 90 bucks on Wait, Amazon. Are you serious? I wonder. Maybe it has like a weird like aftermarket collector's value or something. Because back in the day, no one I think it, I think you started it. I think you told people about it. Oh, you, you told enough people about it, and you drove up the price. God, <laughs> nuts. <laughs> Yeah, all, maybe they also just didn't like make enough copies because yeah. there are some things that there is so much of it that you see all the time. But this game, I have there's you've mentioned like three games I've never heard about before, and I'm always like, Whoa, what's that? And I look into it, I'm like, Oh man, that looks long, <laughs> but I want to play it. <laughs> That's my life. It's like, I want to play that game, I'll squeeze it into my schedule time, somewhere. Time is that one commodity that you just can't. 
can't get back. Can't get back. So I think it's funny, like, this is the last thing because I know you want to move to the next segment. No, that's right, yeah. So, like, uh, I get a lot of grief from a lot of, like, friends who are like, you ever see a TV show? No. You ever watch that movie? No. 95% of movies I've never seen that people typically have seen. Same for TV. But at the same time, I could easily go, have you ever played this video game? No. Well, there you go. All my time went to those games. <laughs> That's why I never see TV shows or movies because I'm trying to get every... There's too many good games, but I want to play them all. I'm a so, slow gamer, too, and I get every drop of my... I, of value out of a game. Yeah, I usually try and get completionist kind of things. Search every pot, alchemize every yeah. formula. Yeah, you finish Assassin's Creed One. Stupid flags. Climb <laughs> <laughs> that cathedral. Well, that's that's helped me break yeah. my kind of problem. If you want another so incentive bad. to break it, go play Star Ocean Four and then throw your controller against <laughs> the wall when you realize how many formulas you're supposed to make. Is that till the end of time or something like that? Or uh, that was the third one, right? Yeah, till the end of time is the third game. The Got fourth it. one was a new, was like the last hope. And there's okay. like 400, 300 or four hundred formulas in that game. Most of them are useless. And really, it was called abandon hope. <laughs> All you I was so scared you're going to say three hundred or four hundred hours. Oh no! Well, if you're going for those formulas, it might. But I will say one of the best plot devices, as stupidly as it was, was getting sucked into a portal and ending up in 1950s America and accidentally causing, you know, Area 51 to be detonated by a nuclear device <laughs> and destroying the Earth. What the, <laughs> the heck is Star Ocean? It's one of the best, like, WTF plot points ever in a game. This happens within, like, the first 15 hours. And it gives, like, the main character, like, system shock. The Star Ocean games are, are all over the place individually, but, uh... I mean, like, together... Like they 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 don't they don't really join together, right? No, nah, one really. and two are like I think they're a little loosely connected. There's really like loosely, a whole like yeah. star federation, but, but on their little... own, bonkers. Yes, <laughs> till the end of time, everything's a video game. Yeah, that's so strange. All right, so we are, and it's a video game. Yeah, and the and the plot, the main plot device yeah, was yeah, that everyone's it. trapped in a video game. Yeah, I borrowed that from you ages ago. I just was like, what? What are you doing, Fury? <laughs> all, right. all right, so the track is being turned down, and we're in the part of the track part of the show. That we call the bonus round. Bonus round. Perfect. A fury. <laughs> okay, so the bonus round is the part of the show where we play covers and remixes and arrangements based on our theme. But sometimes we just take this as an opportunity just to play more awesome tracks that we just because we just have more than we have time for. So much more. So much more. So uh, Mitchell, you you sent me. Uh, an armful of music in my inbox the other day. Yeah. So um, I kept thinking of more like, oh, I forgot about the game corner from Pokemon Gold. Oh, I love that. That's so, such a banger. So yes, which which is. track would you like to uh, to Let's kick off Bomber the bonus Man. round with? Bomberman. All right. So this one I have is called Kings and Knights. Is that correct? Yeah. This is Kings and Knights from Bomberman's second attack composed by Yasunori Mitsuda.
Alaska. You're listening to Kings and Knights from Bomberman 64 Second Attack for the N64, composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. I love this beat, man. This is killer. There's um, I did a whole episode on another podcast called The VG Embassy with Ed Wilson on just drum and bass music because it's just one of my Ooh. favorite things in the world is, is jungle music. And I'm pretty sure there's a there's a couple tracks from Bomberman 64 in it because it's so it's so drum and bassy. It's fast and it's clicky and drummy. <laughs> it's great. I'm trying to remember. Is Bomberman Second Attack the one where you also had elemental bombs? Yeah. Well, okay. Um. So there's three games that three Bomberman games on the N64. I've played Bomberman Hero, which is really different. I've played this one, but I've never played the first Bomberman 64. So I don't know if that has elemental bombs, but this one no, does. That, that the first one doesn't. The first one's claim the thing was you could like inflate your bombs, mm-hmm. and they were mushroom cloud explosions. So if you drop the, the first one to do that, yeah, it was, and that was also unfortunately why a lot of people didn't like it. I was not one of those people. I loved the game, mm-hmm. but a lot of people didn't like the fact that it was like this open world exploration game, and your bombs weren't linear on their explosions. You know, in the normal games, it was always a cross. Oh, were, yeah, yeah that's, right, that's right. That's right. These were like um, they were like spherical circles. Yeah, yeah. So just spherical explosions. So the battle mode was like that too, where you were just in these open environments with blocks you could blow up. But when you threw bombs, like you basically would inflate this giant bomb and then throw it into the field, and this huge explosion just spreads out from the epicenter. And to me, that was fantastic. But a lot of people were like, "I want traditional Bomberman." Like, come on, man. So, I've played a lot of Bomberman. I I love Bomberman. Tournament, which is a GBA game. I feel mm-hmm. like no one's ever played that one. I uh, have it. I'm heck sure. yeah. Yes. Got him. All right. Oh, it's so nice to hear other people. I love Carabobs. Uh, but uh, Kings and Knights is a game mode that I have not seen in any other Bomberman game where uh, you can have like 2v2 or one, two, 1v3 or whatever. But um, there's like this sort of dummy, like a dummy that's a king and it has like a crown on it. And if it takes damage, then uh, you like it loses a heart. But if it ever like dies, that's how you win the game. Oh. So you have to protect your own king while attacking your opponent's king. And one person can pick up their king and like run around with it. It's oh, that's cool. I've never seen it before in any other game. So it's almost so. like um like an RTS or something where you're you're attacking the other player's base. Yeah, kind of. I guess that's so. cool. But the base is a portable person that you can <laughs> run around with. We might have to mess around with that mode at some point. Yeah, that sounds I have cool. Never, I have never dabbled in it. I have the game at home. Yeah, we were talking about Bomberman Online for the Dreamcast like uh, a few weeks back, and that game is all mini games. Like there's, there's like a there's like a, there's like a main like story mode, but like there's all these little like mini like mini versus games. Yeah, I think we different. were talking about the Splash one being the best one. Yeah, that. Do you remember that, Mitchell? I never so my cousin gave me his Dreamcast, but he didn't have this one. So he had what Sonic Shuffle. So oh let's not talk about that <laughs> abomination. I wanna try and figure that game out one day. <laughs> Your sanity will will take a die. But like uh the splash boat in Bomberman online was uh so think of like a tennis court, all right? There's a net in the middle and you can't cross the net. And each side has a team of bombers on it, and you're all walking across water. If you drop a bomb in one spot on your side of the net, it goes under the water, under the net, and up on the exact opposite side right. where your bomb was placed. So it's like that sounds much, incredible. It's right. fantastic. So you're, you're like trying to keep track of like where they place the bombs on their side, and then 
then mirror, mirror reversing it in your mind onto your side of the field at the same time. It's it's just it's brain bending. That sounds the amazing. Best way, the best way. Oh, it, I love Bomberman. And battles. unfortunately, yeah. it's the only Bomberman that used that mode that I can recall. It's really good. It's all it's all um, 3D cell shaded, which is a great look for Bomberman. Um, mm. It was the first one with online mode. I mean, it was dial up, but it was online mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great. All right, so we're gonna skip ahead to Pernell. Okay, so I and for the record, I'm going to state there is a bonus round track that is coming in the future. It will be glorious. But this one is immaculate just to sing. This track is another Kirbyism <laughs> known as the most... I think it's probably one of the most known Kirby minigames. Is it Gourmet the tra- Race? You know it's Gourmet Race. Hey. Oh, yeah. Originated in Kirby Superstar, but this track has made the run across multiple Kirby games. So this is Gourmet Race done up by our friends over at the Skytoon Network. I'm not sure I want to say friends. I want them to come over and like, oh, no, you man. I would love to have him on the show, and that, then he could become a friend. That is very true. I there follow him is. on like on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff. He seems like a cool guy. Very awesome dude. Yeah. Right. Last time I was on here, I posted his track for the Me Chan. Yeah, and I, I, I think actually, that's how I learned yeah, about me, me, me too. <laughs> it's all because of me? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> we're always learning about like new bands and stuff and like, other people. And we're like, yeah, now I get involved, and like I follow everything they do, and... I get notifications like when that new stuff comes out. I just want to support everybody. <laughs> I want, and there's just a lot of people out there.
Welcome back. You just listened to the Gourmet Rush. I'm sorry, the Gourmet Rush. <laughs> the Gourmet Race Scarified from our friends at the Skytune Network and originally from the Kirby series via the Gourmet Race minigame featured in Kirby Superstar. That was a lot of words. <laughs> but Skytune Network, man. So I, I love this track so much. I love Skytune Network. And yeah. I think it's funny that. I mentioned it a little bit earlier to you guys, but uh, I didn't hear this track for the first time in Kirby Superstar. I didn't hear it until um, Super Smash Brothers when it was played on the Dreamlist. He was like, oh my God, this is an awesome track they composed for this game. And I was like, wait, no, it's actually used from, from Kirby Superstar. So I ended up going back and playing it there later. I, I love the speed of Kirby music. It's it's just, It's got like a lot of staccato like little sections that always make me think of horns. So hearing mm. it like in this this like style is like perfect. You should listen to the rock star music from Kirby sixty four because that one pops. Stop! He stop knows big awesome. He knows it. <laughs> stop he knows it. Awesome. Uh, yes. I, yeah, I'm the I'm an N sixty four kid. So like I didn't know like I didn't know a bunch of the characters, um, and so I also associate the song more with um, the Dreamland stage. Also. It's melee mm-hmm. related. I, I'm actually an ultimate player. If that wasn't clear, I love melee, but I'm not good at it. But uh, they just did such I, a good job with Ultimate, though. Let's be honest. Like I am, I was the former best King K. Rule main in Massachusetts. Really? Uh, which means nothing, because I'm not anymore, <laughs> and I'm just. I did. I got fifth place once at a weekly, and that was like really legit. But I'm again, I'm super inconsistent. I so. hey, honestly, I'll take that over whatever. <laughs> Whatever the heck I am in Smash Bros. Like, what is, how good are you pronounced? Like, I think Mega Man is cool. <laughs> That's about as far as I get. Mega Man is good. Wait, wait. He misses me up re- super hard. Rewind. Mega Man got better. I remember Pizza Trash Talk. I'm like, oh, they didn't do a good job Ultimate, with him. Ultimate, everyone is viable. Some characters are more viable than other mm-hmm. characters. And some characters are just most viable. So Mega Man is, he's seen top level play. People have picked him. Um, I'm from New England, so Mars has been trying to pick him up to beat MKLeo, the best player in the world. Um, so, yeah, Mega Man is legit. That's why I like to hear. Give me Mega Man, Joker, um, the Splatoon Inkling, and I'm having a field day. And also... Um, King K. Rool. <laughs> <laughs> King K. Rool. I remember the character reveal. People were losing oh, their I know. stuff yeah, over like, there. Wow. Galleon, oh my god! I lost my stuff. I just, I'm not even super duper attached to the character prior to Smash, but I was like, he's in. He's always deserved to be in. Now he's in. Also, I'm a huge Banjo fan. Now that Banjo's in, I don't care. You could put Fortnite in the game. I wouldn't even care. <laughs> yes. Banjo's in the game. I'm satisfied. I'll be that guy. I'm the very. I think I'm one of the rare people that say this at this point with Smash Brothers. But when they set the precedence of just being like, we want to put as much in this as we can. I don't even feel bad. Like people are like, they put Terry in. People are like, oh god, Terry. I'm like, no. You put Pose any fatally fran- furious. Yes, it's like put every franchise in there. You can. It's like Ryu in there. Why, why not? Yeah, I want to see everyone it's in a, there. It's impossible. Nintendo versus Capcom versus SNK. Yes. I don't see why not. Like it at this point. Like I want Ryu boost in there. Like I'm like, it's like, oh boy, put all of, like the NES grace like. If you put a franchise Ooh. in the game, I'm happy with it. Can they put like want... the little skinny guy from Ice Hockey? <laughs> what would his name be? We Ice call, Hockey Man. We call him the feeble, me- the feeble Meeple. <laughs> oh, God. I want Lloyd Irving from Tales of Symphonia and Travis Touchdown, but both of them are sword users, and I'm so tired of swords, but I'm... I love Lloyd. I think, I... wasn't like Lloyd Irving like 
someone they've been trying to champion for years. Like when they learned that Namco had a hand in it, it's like, oh my god, that means Lloyd can get in now. He could. And Scott Menville said on Twitter that he's doing something exciting, but he can't say what. And so <laughs> if he's back for Lloyd Irving and Smash that I I would have no words. That would be a trip. Like right now I think I want Shantae in the game. I'm one of those people that wants a Shantae character in the game. Why not? Uh I would be interested She's in seeing a other... spirit. Yeah, but they, Bimmy, they can they can break Bimmy, that mold. Bimmy, Bimmy and Jimmy. Bimmy and Jamie. Bimmy and Jimmy from Double Dragon. That would be an interesting character. They'd be a like a hand to hand brawler. Don't put us too many of those. Have they put Mario Mario and Luigi Mario? No. They <laughs> are you talking about from the movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh god. What else are they from? They brought back the ghosts of <laughs> who, who played Philip C D I Link. <laughs> god no. That'd be amazing. Okay, I don't want every guy. <laughs> but like, yeah, just I'm interested. Like people were like complaining about Fortnite at one point. Like, you don't want the Fortnite. I'm like, look. If that's a Fortnite character bringing the Fortnite franchise into this game, by all means, do it. Put them in. That's just one more character that someone can say, I like this game. Yeah. Is there a representative? There is. And they can use them. It's a lot more balancing in the game, too, right? It's going to change changes the way the whole game goes. It is surprisingly so balanced, despite the fact that it is going to get over 100 characters. <laughs> but there's something like nice about it. I think I remember well, reading a thing where uh, where um, Sakurai was like, this is this is my final project that was given to me by Iwata, so I want to make it the best thing possible. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, just and we all clutched our hearts. Yes, it's <laughs> like crap. There goes that heart. There's that tugging of the heartstring again. It hurts, mm. but it's so good. Well, thank you for listening to Rhythm and Pixels, episode twenty four, mini games with Mitchell Wong. What do you think, Pranell? You're looking at me funny. I am because there's a lot of traditional steps that haven't been taken. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you got to leave that in there too. Oh wow, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if you would like more information on the bonus round part of our show, go to rhythmandpixels.com and we'll have links to band camps and SoundClouds and everywhere where you can buy the music and support the artists. Thanks for joining us on episode 20-4 of Rhythm and Pixels. We're talking about mini games with Mitchell Wong. And what an episode. This has been a fantastic episode filled with great music. <laughs> I love it. This is the second time Mitchell's come on the show, and it's just been a bevy of words, dialogue. Like we make we've been making Rob work overtime to keep the pacing of this episode yeah. going. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun talking. Yeah, I do have to get up super early. So, um, but yeah, we're just trying to keep a keep a little bit of pace here. But um, so, Mitchell, you have some anything more you want to say about Kine, the new game coming out uh, this Thursday? Yeah. So, um, Kine comes out October seventeenth on Epic Game Store, Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and it eventually will be a launch title for Google Stadia in November. Oh, cool. Uh, the Bandcamp is going to be up maybe a day before um, but I'm doing a giveaway on Twitter at mwongaudio uh, that's mwongaudio because Mitchell Wong audio is too long <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you follow me like and retweet my pinned posts then you can enter to win one of three keys uh, and the soundtrack so that is something that I am doing yeah so um, definitely check that out we'll have um, links to those to, to that on the website and probably yeah. even post it in like Rhythm and Pixels chat. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll post it. Or on the Facebook page. Yeah, we'll be posting it through our um, our uh, 
social media channels, and it'll also be on the uh, the podcast description. So if you scroll through your phone or wherever you're listening on, you'll see it right there. Everywhere your eyeballs <laughs> can peep it. Well, if you'd like to uh, get in contact with the show, if you want to say hi, if you have any track suggestions or even topic suggestions, please send us an email. Rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. For a full track listing of all of our episodes and access to all of our episodes and links to everything else that we're doing, go to the website. Rhythmandpixels.com. And then you can check us out on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's Rhythm and Pixels, all one word, usually. Um, YouTube.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. We have all of our episodes being uh, uploaded there. And there's also a 24-7 radio station playing nothing but 8-bit, 16-bit classics and deep cuts playing all day long right there on YouTube. Um, and if you'd like to support the show, um, it's easy. Just, you know, just subscribe or say hi. You tell your friends. Tell your friends about it. Or put it on a USB stick, <laughs> throw it in a bottle and toss it in the ocean. Yeah, put it, burn it to its disc and then throw it out your car window and hopefully it lands somewhere. Uh, or I told you- a composer friend that because uh, you picked some of their music. Uh, it was Wilmot. It was the cleaning game. Wilmot's Warehouse. Yeah, yeah. My friend did the music for that, oh. so I was like, "Oh yeah, your music was featured on this podcast." We love that man. That was so good. We talked. We talked so good about that game. Wilmot's Warehouse is an addiction. Um, but you can also go to Patreon.com/slash Rhythm and Pixels. Um, there you get access to a um, a live streamed recording of our episode once a month, and we also give you a shout out at the end of every episode. Thank uh, so we'd like to thank that Nick Walker, Mike Myers, Phantom Jest, Steve Miller, Autistic Gamer eighty nine, Cameron Worma, Christopher Shenstrom, Bobby Arson of One Up Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, OK Impala, Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes Three podcast, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version podcast, who we're going to see uh, next week. Yeah, we're talking to you next week because uh, he's very far away. Uh, Brian Pitt, Chris Murray, what's up? Uh, Ed Wilson from the VG Embassy, Alexander Proudfoot, Davy Cakes, Dude or the Dude, Duderito or uh, the Duder, uh, the Last Recon, Bedroth, Jupiter Jazz, Solus Sanctuary, Damian Beckles, Joe Vasallo, Chris Steenerson, Alex the Messenger, Messenger, and David Smith. David, David. I, I, I second guess myself every time um, but thank you all very very much thank you so much for your support of the show and remember it keeps us going next w- the Patreon episode just as a reminder the topic for you guys if you're submitting tracks this month Spooky Tunes Spooky Tunes we'll give a reminder um, a week before the episode comes out but we are looking for scary tracks maybe not necessarily scary music but from scary games maybe not necessarily scary games or just scary for you something something scary happened while you were playing the game that one resident evil song in the basement where all the instruments are wrong oh yeah <laughs> you know about i don't but honestly now i want you to send a link or something i will send you a link uh, i want to hear this well, anyway, thank you all for listening to the show. Thank you, Mitchell, again for joining us this evening. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I have so much fun talking to you guys. Yeah, you are you're welcome back anytime. Even if you're not promoting a game coming out, we'd love to have you back. Uh, just let me know. Okay. Just let me know. Like I'm we have there. Mitchell on. He's promoting his new chili recipe. No, we're doing a Smash Brothers episode. Ooh, we have to. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm there for that. Now, Mitchell would be the perfect guest track. We were actually talking about because we've been intentionally kind of avoiding any Smash Brothers tracks mm-hmm. for 
ages now. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like there's so much music in there that there's like multiple episodes we could do just yeah. for Smash Bros. I think we need, we, need, we need additional experts to get involved in this one. Oh, so. I love Smash so much. <laughs> oh my god, Megalovania is in Smash now. What is life? That flipped <laughs> me out. Uh, and it's a really good remix of it, too. It's not awesome. just like the flat versions. All right, well, you have that to look forward to, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks to everyone for listening to the show, Rhythm and Pixels. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Thank you, and have a great night. And remember, oh, my God. So the idea of trying, trying and failing, it's a hefty one to be sure. And there's a lot of fear and failure that people, unfortunately, succumb to when it comes down to attempting to perform or pull off activities or dreams or goals but one thing that can be said is that trying can lead to failure but then failure can learn to lessons which can be applied to another attempt until you eventually get it right and one thing that I can honestly say I actually kind of meant to use this like in the last week's episode or the, actually in the future episode but uh at the end of the day if you don't try you'll never succeed if you do try you have a chance of succeeding and you clearly don't know what your odds are until you put it to use I mean like I'm trying to lose weight. I didn't try up until recently. And what do you know? I'm losing weight. There are people who just throw their name out there and make a bunch of wacky comments. And now they're well known for making wacky comments. I mean, we did a podcast. I mean, you can do it. You just have to try and not be too concerned about the potentials of not succeeding and just be interested in having fun trying or giving it a go. Because you don't know until you do. That's all I got to say.